Well, guess what? It's the Rural Requiem, and we are back. We are back. It's been a while. We've been busy. Busy sleeping a lot. <laughs> um, I had some health issues to deal with, and um, so I dealt with them. Oh, boy, the healthcare system is not doing well around here, i got to say that. But that's a whole nother show. But uh, as I uh, now sit here, um, we'll talk about some of that at the end. Some juicy stuff. But it is mid-August. How did that happen? Well, a lot can happen in a very short period of time. Just ask Joe Biden and Joe Manchin and Donald Trump. They are all enjoying a very interesting political season. So, there's been a lot happening locally here. Of course, I... Uh, I'm here in Coles County. And everybody wants to do all this stuff, right? Um, they get upset about these elections. I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. Some people. And it's okay. You know, it's natural to get upset when you don't get your way. But, um, and this is on both sides. They all are out to change the elections. Both sides. They just want to game the system. Both of them do. It's not right. None of it is. I mean, you look what they did with that 12th district, just tore it right through the middle of the state and cut to shreds all these rural counties. Yeah, it's a bunch of garbage. But, um... But as we uh, predicted, Mary Miller did win uh, by quite the margin uh, in the primary. And, you know, that was no shocker. There was a lot of ramifications um, on a local level with the number of um, races, you know, in the Republican primary, which we'll get into, actually caused some real uh, dumpster fires. Yeah. And involves some of the uh, characters that we discussed last season. Because we're starting a new season here. Because I've been building and building stuff. And I'm getting prepared for a, uh, a more long-term commitment here. So... When we're talking about these uh, election changes, these people, both sides are trying to make these changes. And you hear all sorts of questions I get all the time. I mean, people, you know, they want term limits or, or whatever. And term limits is one of the most garbage uh, policy, um, you know, issues in the history of America. Okay? Just get that straight. It's the most garbage. You know, if anybody sells you on that, you have a problem and that person is just telling you what you want to hear because that ain't ever going to happen. Uh, it's just not. And, and why would we? Why would we want to get rid of experience because gosh darn, um, and sometimes experience is bad. 
sensitized experience is good. The thing is, it's up to the discernment of the voters in a community to figure that out. It's the way it's supposed to work, right? But that's if you actually have competition for ideas. And we haven't for a long time, and certainly in rural America. So one of the things that uh, somebody asked uh, this week was about mandatory voting. You know, if they say that we instituted mandatory voting <laughs> in America, you know, it was like, and with or without penalties, you know, I, oh, Lord. Um, it's actually why, uh, why is this one of the go-to options? political reform. Yeah. Just think about it. It's like people want to tell people what to do, I guess. Is there a personality type that's predisposed to float election reforms? Uh, these are the questions I kind of start asking myself because I just cannot stand by and complain about something. I've got to do something about it. You know, it's a obligation and a burden for sure. Uh, what types of inflection points in our culture trigger discussions about actions to reform our elections, right? So, you know, these you know proposals tend to get brought up again at certain moments, at certain junctures. And I think like it usually happens a little bit after the primary, right? And people go realize that most of the people on the ballot, they don't know, they never met, or they have um, zero connection to. Or, like here, there's only Republicans on the ballot, and just uh, the Democrats are all void spaces. Yeah. Then there is the panacea of rank. Ranked choice voting. Oh my. Yeah, this, um, you know, this is actually, they are rolling this out in a couple places. This election cycle, I think um, they did it in Maine a um, couple uh, years ago. Isn't voting confusing enough? Right? I mean, really, aren't election boards moving and eliminating precincts each election cycle in an attempt to depress certain neighborhoods' voter turnout by making legal voting more difficult? Now, all these are examples of anti-democratic flailing. People are tired of their own voice not winning the day at the ballot box. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, just look at the going back to at least Kerry. Um, if not Bill Clinton, when he won re-election, man, people were so pissed. And nobody saw it coming. I couldn't believe today somebody said that they uh, they could not believe that Mary Miller won. <laughs> oh, man. I, you know, I understand. It's hard. You know, so, and when we're talking about winning the day, I think it's really important to be clear about this. Be it the end of election day or the number of days it takes to count and recount all the votes, until no one is happy with the process, as much as half the people are unhappy with the result. And that certainly happened over there in Moultrie County. 
in the, the Republican primary. That was bitter. Bitter. Uh, in fact, it led to uh, the county clerk actually resigning. And it was something to behold. I just happened to be there. Yeah. Uh, why are they putting us through a debate that won't ever materialize into an amendment to the U.S. Constitution? Because that's what it would take, guys. That's what it would take. You know, where's the pragmatism, the feasibility, and the logistics? Because gosh darn it, those matter. They sure as hell do. I think these people don't want to engage with others that feel, uh, they feel, strongly disagree with their views. Possibly some people in our culture now have little to no differentiation between their identity and their political views. And if you think about it, that could be part of the problem. Because it's not about any kind of policy, really, or principle, you know. Because the Second Amendment, folks, not, I don't think hardly any of them have ever even read a Supreme Court opinion about the Second Amendment. They don't want to engage with those people. So possibly some people in our culture now have little to no differentiation, right, between their identity and their political views. Thank the social conservative values campaign for twisting differences of opinion and policy into going up, going down, heaven, or hell. If the issue is tied to God's word, the preacher is the only one with the secret decoder ring of what counts today and what only counted in biblical times. Unless the political leader teams up with the religious leader to find a way to stop the exodus from their pews and caucuses. Who wants to hear someone passionate about a viewpoint that they don't share themselves? Better yet, a viewpoint diametrically in opposition to their own. Well, I do, actually. I do. Um, actually, I seek it out. But uh, in general, most people don't. No judgment about that at all, okay? Because um, I know I get judged for, you know, uh, mixing it up and asking questions, right? It's just the reality we all must embrace instead of also ignoring that. Could the other reason really be that simple? It could be that to focus on election reforms that will never be enacted is to avoid learning anything new while safeguarding yourself from the change you're demanding simultaneously. For myself, I am constantly attempting to expand awareness about self and other. I fail miserably much of the time I've been breathing. <laughs> it's a minority of people that actually do the work necessary to become better informed. And I want to talk about that word informed a little bit. I'm suggesting to not only invest in the policy positions you are passionate about, but that would be a great place to begin the journey. We need a more descriptive word than inform, though. And you know what? There's some people, they should not 
probably dig into some things, right? They should, they're good at some things, right? Some people are good at, you know, going down a rabbit hole and getting dinner. If a person is truly serious about an issue, it would be important to understand the positions others hold strongly that are oppositional, as well as those that are similar, but not shared. Perhaps the positions aren't that oppositional, much like the major religions, distilled down to a few core principles and ideals once the proper pronouns are thrown away. Perhaps the position you currently have can be improved by the effort or discarded for an expanded awareness that embraces more perspectives. Just settle on one. You know, sometimes the conditions change and that requires a different answer. You know, when you add a new variable, when you add something new to it, and I'll tell you, these are very complex systems that we're dealing with, with the economy, with uh, education. You know, it's a, these are very complex, but everybody wants to boil it down to something so simple that it's dumb. Mischaracterizing someone else through their positions, which is akin to parts of our identity, can support someone's agenda to divide our communities. <laughs> In fact, the values and demonization culture created the impetus to move away from those you judge. At the core of any exploration, at least one that is methodical and thorough is education and the capacity to acquire new knowledge. Thus far, there isn't a lot of concrete grit to work with you know, with what I've offered, right? We will arrive at the destination. I promise. I do. You know, these are very hefty ideas. Largely due to an overemphasis on the standardized testing for funding model for public education, so-called softer subjects are disappearing in education. The more important vanishing act is discussion and integration of the curriculum amongst peers in the classroom, educators in the lounge, or between John and Jane Doe with their families. If you have a child taking a history class in K through 12, you probably know that much of history is tested by multiple choice this century. Understanding of key concepts is problematic when the questions are derivative and the answer is D for Drake. <laughs> the history of multiple choice is disturbed. Oh yeah, let me tell you, this is actually some pretty interesting stuff. I you know I I just thought about this stuff right. You know, I've been thinking about a lot of these things for a long time, um, building these uh, concepts and stuff. And then I go out and before I share it to the world, I always check my ass. The dark history of multiple choice. Yes, multiple choice is one of the biggest disasters of uh, modern civilization and logic and reasoning we've ever had. Yeah. Oh, gosh, you cannot believe it. In fact, uh, the first time it was actually sold or, or bought or purchased or something was in the U.S. military. And the guy who sold it to him knew it was a failure. Yeah. Knew it was a failure. 
I have this entire amazing article called The Dark History of the Multiple Choice Test by Anissa Ramirez. I'll tell you, this is an interesting exploration of how the um, American Psychological Association really screwed up education for everybody. Yeah. The initial introduction of multiple choice into America's military was a failure. You know, as I just said, it is predictable what has happened to education ever since the adoption of yet another failed project. You know, sometimes we just get in the, you know, clown car and we know the person driving is is not stable, not sober, not a, you know they are they're in trouble, and they're driving. What are we thinking, right? But yet, you know what? It is hard to take that wheel to turn, get that vehicle to stop once you're going in it. So what do you do? He's like, do you make the person mad or do you stop and uh, you try to just calm yourself and? And get through it and hope that you survive, right? But what happens if that dang vehicle crashes in to somebody? Oh, well. When students are only expected to know a handful of proper nouns and only expected to remember the knowledge for a short period of time, you can bet those students are finding every shortcut possible. These kids are busy these days and smart. Their parents are are busy as well. <laughs> um, who's going to have a discussion with a child in a classroom today anyways? Likely not the teacher. If something is said that somehow doesn't conform to the family's views of the world, there just might be a fury coming for that teacher and school board. It's possibly why no one has challenged this de degradation of understanding of our own species and culture. No one bothered to challenge companies as they offshore manufacturing jobs consistently for decades last century either. Now, why is that? See, we should be asking those questions why and getting to the answers. This is part of the problem in our culture. We just ask these questions. Or we don't even ask the question. I mean, we're just still in the dang clown car, you know, without brakes. Pretty simple. The folks given pink slips and severance pay, if they're lucky, aren't exactly in a position to challenge authority, considering they now have to find jobs to replace the one that used to pay the bills for the entire family. And if they do manage to find a job quickly from those in companies that had yet to offshore, those grateful folks aren't going to do much complaining. They risk being shown the exit door there as well. They don't want to risk what little they've managed to preserve and secure for their families. The power and influence of workers as a unit began diminishing ever since. When anxiety and fear solidify around your job and finances, the chances of challenging anyone or any policy is much less likely to happen. There's just too much at stake. You know, you got kids. You know, you got people counting on you. Why did none of the established financially stable people challenge what was happening across America, right? They were in the stable position to do something about it, right? Well, all those brilliant CEOs and bankers were conducting all of those massive transfers of wealth from the middle class indirectly into their pockets. If you were in the administrative classes and uncovered what was happening, 
to speak out about it, either risk being tossed out of your jobs or risk somebody discovering you were raking in every benefit out of politicians for their companies prior to being offshored. All part of the plan to increase profits and stock dividends. Oh. Cut the jobs. Cut their taxes. Nobody says a thing. And the stock market increases. Oh. So if I got my job, I've got my stock options, right? I don't need to say anything about those people. I'll just tell them to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, even though all the jobs that are left are less, they have less compensation for the job. That's why people then had to work two jobs for a family or three because it got worse. So the stock market marched upward in companies offshore to Asia. The perceived benefits of the economy, a booming stock market, obscured the damage that was being waged everywhere. Occasionally, the damage would seep out in one of the key financial or other sectors of the economy. The Great Recession would be a perfect example. Now it's the Great Resignation. Younger people aren't buying the bullshit that baby boomers gobbled up or force-fed others like birds to the needy. All of this is taking place at the same time political ideology is shifting throughout America. As the economically well-established cashed-in through bonuses, raises, and stocks, increasing numbers of Americans were draining their bank accounts and going into debt, which required more jobs and eliminating more time to the family and community. We used to be around one another much more than we are today. The pandemic was like a blowtorch to the remaining frayed threads stretched like torn sinews after what was left when Facebook and MySpace came to town, right? Multiple choice tests. Oh boy, multiple choice. That's right. This multiple choice test. It is a problem. No one was paying attention to that, to our schools, because all these people, all these parents, all these families, they're working their butts too much. They aren't there with their families, right? They, and pretty much, they would much prefer not to have a essay to help their kids write. Well, I mean, we didn't, I didn't have to have anybody help me write an essay. Hell, I write essays just for my own benefit. That's why I'm doing this. Um, no one was paying attention to the schools while they were ignoring the Roanoke manufacturing sector and missing over workers who didn't make it into the upper echelon. Yeah. The Roanoke manufacturing sector and the missing over workers because now they're working way too much. How did this happen? Well, the Reagan era really ushered in the end of the consumer-driven economy. It did. Welcome to the worker-driven economy. That's what they should have said mission accomplished for. As prices went higher, people would have less power and influence because their wages remained stagnant for the next 40 years. Can't risk getting fired. The people that retained their positions and wages were not the labor force 
but the administrative class. They never changed their Reagan era economic talking points. They didn't have to. By the time they retired, they didn't care what had happened to the manufacturing sector or education. Elections, well, we're witnessing what they have done to our elections, right? That is what's happening in Moultrie County. And that's what's happening here in Coles County as well. Later, they would simply blame politicians for all of it, just not their political party. Who cares that it was companies and the people that managed those companies who gutted the American worker, or at least watched as she was disemboweled? Yeah, Hannibal Lecter stuff. Those clever cliche talking points that have been so effective against liberal policies since the Great Society continue to work on the overworked and underpaid. They were busy pulling themselves up by the, those damn bootstraps. Whew, people found work again, you know. It just was never at the same level that would allow for the comforts that they were accustomed to enjoying. That's bitterness. That's when bitterness sets in. Exasperation. New generations watched and learned from the baby boomers. The litany of lazy would be repeated about subsequent generations. Who cares that every worker had watched as prices soared and wages barely budged. Any attempt to reform wages, even for the lowest income worker, is met with fear and anxiety of killing the economy. As if those workers aren't consumers. See, that's why you know it wasn't a consumer-driven economy ever. As if those workers aren't consumers, right? This litany of lazy is as cynical as it is disturbed. It is the broadest brush that can be used to paint others, not as well connected to all off as yourself. And I'll say this. I listened to Smirconish this morning, and that and he has never pissed me off like he did. Uh, he has never pissed me off like that. And he really did. I, I, I know he did not want to put that on the air. And so he didn't. <laughs> he for sure didn't. Yeah. So let me see if I can find that really fast. Wow. Because that was fun. Hmm. Boy, I've been tweeting a lot lately. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here it is. Oh, yes. Not so. Yeah. So technology is working. So, Connish, you're speaking perfect Reaganomics, which failed our economy. What is lazy is that tired argument about a younger generation that isn't putting up with an out-of-balance income and economy like yours did. Yeah, they all accepted the... It wasn't a status quo, because let me tell you, status, you know, people at the bottom, they just stuck there, Right? And then all those people at the top, they just kept rising and rising and rising. And all of these people that just use this lazy bullshit story, all they, had, all they did was just sit there and judge because they knew how to do it. They watched the baby boomers do it. They are the best at judging others, right? They are. 
there is a natural course of how a generation is formed. You know, I'm not being too harsh on the baby boomers, okay? They did produce me. The older generation finds the younger generations lazy and self-centered. When we don't select to become more aware of self and other over a sustained period of time, like 50 to 80 years of life or in our society, the product of that time, our children, will be a response to our inputs and lack of investments. Yeah, you get what you put into it. You put judgment in, you're going to get some real hateful stuff on the way out. Yeah, it would make sense for a newer generation to think more about themselves as their parents and up the family tree chain simply lacks the capacity to do anything more than celebrate how great they were. No one ever checked for results. They just talked about how great they did. They definitely will demand needs testing for funds, though, right? For that program for child care or uh, for... You know, any kind of relief, man, there's needs testing for that at the bottom. But man, there is no, no checking for results for their bullshit, their, well, their failed policies. I'm a little angry, I guess. And both parties went along with those talking points. Both parties did. Both parties. You know it if you've been alive for 50 years. Those talking points actually do convince most people still today. I mean, people I know. They, they will regurgitate them, even after decades of consistent policy failures. It's the simple nature of the language of the litany of lazy and has become a set of go-to mantras that, if not spoken out loud, have become an internal monologue for most of us. Usually, it's focused in a critical way internally. Others redirect it externally. You see the problem? So people are either, you know, becoming... Frustrated with themselves or very angry with others. And I think if you look at our society, that's exactly what has happened. We have increasingly so. Whew. Oh, wow. Parched, huh? Understanding the impacts of our actions, checking for the results for all of those failed policies, it's simply too much for most folks, especially if they're in that clown car. And it's careening down the road without brakes or fuel. So at least the no fuel part will help out the no brakes part. <laughs> but they'll bitch about the price. Efforts for structural change often directly contradict those simple talking points. Which is easier for a person? Repeating four words or understanding a new concept that directly challenges those four words. If we undertake the latter, we must elevate and explore that understanding with both an open mind and a confidence to discuss it with peers. Occasionally, a gifted order will sidestep experience and challenge those four word anchors with a message that is as profoundly revolutionary as it is constructed strategically. The objective of the design is to maximize and galvanize the public, swaying enough people in the middle to support the policy and possibly the order. Mostly, these savvy messengers are not equipped to manage the logistics and politics necessary to successfully achieve tangible and culture-wide benefits. 
in the short or long term. See, we need people. We need other people that are good at things that we aren't. It's not a threat. It's actually why our species succeeded for so long. Because we work together. When we work together, it's amazing what we can do. It's stunning. That brings us back to the policies about election reform. Once we dig below the feel-good nature of eliminating an excuse for people to not vote through mandating compliance, the policy isn't sound. It's that litany of lazy, right? If we could just get them to the polls, their lazy ass to the polls, they'll, they'll what? Well... I do think this litany can inspire a controlling nature to intervene on the behalf of others. You know, sometimes that's for benefit, right? Other times, I don't know. Some people even believe when others are forced to vote, they will become more involved and knowledgeable about government and politics. Left-leaning people who propose this policy, <laughs> oh yeah, you. I mean, every time I've heard somebody spout this crap, I... You just know this has got to be their agenda, right? You know, they left-leaning people propose the policy because they, they think more voters equals more Democratic votes on Election Day. See, it goes back to these people, all these parties, they are promoting things to promote themselves their own power base, right? Republican supporters of mandatory voting would disagree with that. In general, high turnout elections do tend to favor Democratic candidates, at least anecdotally. We should be honest about the intentions and objectives behind any policy. Why doesn't it make sense? Right. We should be asking that kind of question. As I begin to explain, we have been misled into believing America is a consumer-driven economy. It is, in fact, the worker-driven economy, right? And you can tell that that's actually the case because they didn't increase the wages as they increased the price. Healthcare, corrections, and law enforcement, and manufacturing all have shifts running 24-7 in America. Therefore, any holiday will not be a benefit to those millions. Right. And you know what? These, you know that somebody's had to tell these people this stuff after they've been spouting this for how many years, right? Somebody surely brought up this argument, but yet they're so angry that I do. I don't know. Often these jobs are dangerous, understaffed, underappreciated, and underpaid with benefits that slap you in the face with additional costs. You know, there's nothing like that dang healthcare premium and copay. I mean, that stuff is just utter bullshit. That is painful. It's wrong. I tell you, it shouldn't be. Probably here, if I disappear, somebody else took this recording and published it, okay? <laughs> Even though there are many more workers in America than managers and politicians, workers have yet to gather their numerical advantage into a political or economic victory for themselves or their families. And the managers and politicians have easily divided up the workers so as to diffuse the worker advantage in numbers. 
by also dividing up the country geographically into rural and urban playgrounds for each political party to rule while running against the fears and anxieties of the opposite playground, America has self-selected a pseudo-democratic system. Another inspiration for those election reforms. Yeah, see, it's like everything feeds on itself. Oh, that doesn't sound good at all. So why do I say it's pseudo-democratic? Well, in the vast majority of counties in America today, there are no competitive options on election day. You've heard me say this a lot. Get it through your head. That is a problem. Yes, so I chose to stop recording yesterday due to that thunderstorm, and um, we'll just put a button in that particular pod, and we will pick up uh, where we left off at the pseudo-democratic, you know, society that we have here on our next episode, which will um, be out uh, soon. I am um, going to record it just about now, but um, I'm first going to clean this up, put it out there, and uh, look forward to all of your feedback. So, just a little bit of information. I have been um, under the weather for months, and uh, it's been tough, but um, and it didn't even, even need to be that way. And um, like I said, I'm going to go into much detail about all of that at some point. But then I ended up, you know, two years almost to the day. In fact, I think it was to the day. I ended up getting COVID again somehow. I don't even know how. But, you know, it's not that bad. It's just nauseousness and, you know, my brain tends to be a little bit on fire. Which is what happened last time. So, oh, yeah. Two years later, I still have COVID um, issues from from that infection. It was pretty rough. Pretty rough. Well, not having my dad, it's pretty rough. So let me know what you think so far. Because you're going to really enjoy this next portion, the real meat of what I was after. Uh, which is t- discussing Coles County and Moultrie County, but specifically the county clerk's office, that position in our courthouses in each county seat throughout Illinois. Uh, they, uh, this is about elections and how crucial of a role that those uh, elected officials play and how office politics can put a wrench in a lot of things, including a long, distinguished, respectable history. Yeah. I learned a lot from watching and listening and asking questions about what happened in Moultrie County and Um, I certainly have lost some things as a result, uh, which is quite sad. But that's the uh, nature of life. Life um, continues to move on. And I appreciate each one of you. Thank you so very much. This will be out soon. 